0: Hi, welcome back to Off the Cuff, Evacore Healthcare's podcast. I'm your host, Emily Coe. Today, we're gonna to talk to Dr. Erica David-Park about utilization management and the role that it plays in the overall patient healthcare experience, especially when it comes to patient safety and patient empowerment.
1: Hi, Erica, how are you? Hi, I'm doing really well, Emily. Good to see you.
0: Nice to see you. Thank you for joining us today. Tell us a little bit about your background. And um, I know you're a physiatrist um, Mm -hmm. um, and people probably misread that and think that you're a psychiatrist all the time.
1: (laughs) Very true. That does happen. (laughs) So, so yeah, I'll go a little bit into my back, a little bit of my backstory. So, um, you know, when I was in medical school, one of my um, classmates, my roommate actually um, had a lower extremity amputation from from a childhood sarcoma. She was the one who actually initially introduced me to the field. I didn't know anything about um, physiatry at all until I I met her. So um, essentially what physiatry is, it's physical medicine and rehabilitation. So it's management of, starts off basically with um, uh, disability impairment musculoskeletal disorders, neurologic disorders. It's really kind of um, like a whole person approach to the neuromuscular system. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, the whole approach to it really just resonated with me. And that's what made me get into the field.
0: That's great. Um, So just curiosity, is it one of those um, specialties where um, I know, like dermatology, is often sought after because they have really good hours. <laughs> so, is physiatry one of those specialties where you pretty much have set office hours?
1: Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, generally, it's much more reasonable. So, I mean, it depends on if you do more of the inpatient or the outpatient side. The inpatient side can be kind of busy, so it can it can get a little hectic there too. Yeah. But generally, most of the time, for outpatient physical medicine rehab, it's not too it's not as stressful as some fields yeah. of medicine.
0: So when we hear the term utilization management or when folks, um, the general population, they hear that term, uh, we typically get some sighs, maybe some rolling of <laughs> the eyes. Um, and I think it's because people don't really understand what utilization management is all about and truly you know, what we're trying to achieve. Um, it's not just a denial letter. So um, can you um, talk a little bit about you know what goes into utilization management and how you know and really it's about getting patients the right care at the right time
1: absolutely absolutely so yeah it's, it's funny too so when i finished residency and started in practice i was thinking the same thing i was like oh goodness utilization management i'm going to get everything denied and it's going to be a big hassle but then as you learn more about it as time goes on like everything in life as more time goes on yeah. you learn a bit more and you understand what it really means so the whole idea of utilization management is making sure that patients are getting you know, the, the appropriate care that they need at the appropriate point in time and that they're not um, and that services also are not being overutilized because there can be dangers with too much medicine, of too much, too much of certain types of medical care can cause issues. So you know, generally with utilization management, it's not just a matter of denying, you know, it's really just a matter of making sure it's appropriate that if, if one thing is not appropriate, something else can be used in this place. And that there also is um, really monitoring and management of what's going on. Mm-hmm. A lot of what's done is really by looking at the medical literature. And so a lot of it, it's really science-based. You know, we look at the science, we look at the actual data and see what should, should work for individual patients rather than kind of just using anecdotal evidence.
0: Right. Yeah. So, um, and so my team, and as you know, my team works with you and other physicians to write the clinical guidelines that are used at Evacor um, to help determine what is medically necessary. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I know I'm very familiar with that process with um, reviewing the literature and, and keeping, you know, creating guidelines and keeping them updated. What's that experience like for you at Evacor and working with, with the guidelines that help with utilization management?
1: Yeah. No, I've, I've actually really enjoyed it. It's actually one of my favorite things to do at Evercore, honestly, because, um, you know, it's honestly, yeah, it's, it's really, it's an enjoyable experience. I think a lot of it because, you know, you really get to look at the current medical literature and really see what's, what's appropriate, what's not, and just, just stay really up to date with everything. Cause I, I think back to, um, you know, to being in practice, you're busy. Like when you're in clinical practice, you're just so busy. Changes are occurring in medicine. Science is changing like so rapidly. It's hard to stay on top of everything. So, you know, having people going and looking at the literature, taking the time to go through that and look at it and see what really is the true best practice, again, rather than kind of like an anecdotal evidence, but what really, what the science actually shows, I think is great. So, for me, being like a science based person, <laughs> yeah. I, I really enjoy it. Like, it's actually um, sometimes it's almost kind of like detective work sometimes too. So, you know, you have something you want to look up. Find out like you know what is the, what is the information saying like what is the current research saying has anything changed it's really it's kind of a cool process I, I enjoy it
0: that that's great and it's really cool to think about um the evidence-based guidelines and its correlation or not maybe not a scientific correlation well <laughs> and the association with patient safety um yes. and how you know, what we're doing is designed to truly give patients the care, the best care that they need uh, or that make the best decisions um, based on those guidelines. Um, Now with newer technologies, we know there are things always coming out um, in the field of medical technology. And sometimes there's a lot of excitement around the technology or new innovations um, even if the the data aren't there to support its um, efficacy and um, effectiveness, uh, maybe haven't even identified the indications um, for the technology. Um, can you explain how Evacor handles um, the new technologies and, um, mm-hmm. and how we incorporate them into our guidelines, if at all?
1: Sure, sure. So with EvaCore, I mean, we definitely make sure we stay on top of any new technologies. So we find out that... There's you know a new procedure, a new device, a new anything brand new. Um, we really stay on top of that. What we do is we'll actually take a look at the current medical literature and see you know what does the literature show at that point in time. Is the evidence there to support it? And the thing is, and not just to support it, but to support that it's safe. Because you know it's it's exciting when new things come out. I mean everyone you know gets excited, and there might be a news story about it or something. But the question is, is it safe? You know, is it going to work for the patients and is it going to cause them harm or is it going to be okay? Mm -hmm. So really the key with what we do is to take a look at that literature, see what is out there involving, you know, whatever that new thing is and determine if it is appropriate at that point in time. Mm -hmm. Now, if if we look at the literature and it turns out it's not, and then it's it's still kind of what we call experimental and investigational and unproven, at that point, we wouldn't recommend it. However, we would still do periodic reviews because literature changes very rapidly. I mean, a new study could come out like the next week that could, you know, alter right. our opinion. <laughs> so, yes. so, we really make sure that we stay on top of it and really are regularly paying attention, so that if we need to change our recommendation, we can always do that.
0: Yeah, yeah, and um, you know, a great um, example—not necessarily of new technology, but um, with the COVID um, yeah. pandemic—that's yeah. another way that we. Um, adjusted our approach um, to help keep patients safe, we um, examined, um, re examined how um, we look at CT scans for patients who are COVID positive. So so even as we have global pandemic or epidemics and pandemics, (laughs) um, we're still thinking about patient safety.
1: Absolutely. And that's really an, exa- an example of like Evercore in action, you know, right, as the pandemic's <laughs> yeah. happening, you know, going and looking at the literature at that moment and seeing like, what can we do? And, and not, not even just the literature, but it was, you know, because it's an evolving process, but just mm-hmm. what information can we glean for this really unusual pandemic that's occurring at this moment and, and approaching it that way. I think it's really, it's an excellent way to do things. And it really makes sure that the patients are being taken care of the right way.
0: And and then also there's the cascade effect of yes. um, you know once you initiate um, examination maybe you get um, you know some t- some type of advanced imaging and yeah. there are incidental findings or you know it just the patient just continues down the path of additional doctors visits and imaging and tests. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, did, have you experienced that as a physiatrist? Uh,
1: I, yeah, quite quite a bit, unfortunately, because um, especially because, you know, a lot of what I did as a, as a physiatrist in clinical practice involves, you know, mus- the musculoskeletal system and disability and so on. So I've found it a lot with low back pain in particular. So a, a lot of times when, by the time I would a patient would get to me after they've already gone through the gamut and they've already um, had that diagnosis and they've gone through a lot of other treatments, and then they would get to me with this, this history of low back pain I always found it interesting because um, low back pain, in particular, is a really common problem. I think it's one of the more common reasons that people just go to the doctor. Period. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a really um, it can cause a lot of, you know, a lot of like a lot of injury, a lot of like missed days from work, things along those lines. So it's it's a it's a big issue. But we find with um, with back pain, it's not uncommon to find just incidental findings on imaging that might not directly be related to someone's symptoms. So so as an example, um. I remember seeing situations where you know a patient would, would patient has a history where they came in, they had an episode of back pain. And then unfortunately, they had an MRI that di- ordered right away. So the MRI was immediately ordered. It showed something wrong, you know. So there's like an abnormality on the MRI, but something pretty minor, you know, really when you really look at it, it's maybe just like a little bit of degeneration that is really just likely age related and not really like a new major issue that shouldn't need to be addressed. It's just something that happened to be found. On this imaging but unfortunately um, what would end up happening is that they would have that abnormality and it's kind of like it sticks so they're like oh i have an abnormal spine and next thing you know that's when that cascade effect happens so you know they end up on a whole bunch of different medications some you know muscle relaxants sometimes opioids it could be a whole bunch of different stuff then they might get more imaging done they might get more procedures a lot of times they'll end up getting like a lot of interventional procedures and then sometimes it, sometimes it could all, go all the way down to surgery. You know, and just from that like little sort of incidental finding, it, yeah. was, it was really unfortunate you know, what would happen. And you know, to get back to that, to the whole um, idea of that and with utilization management, that's a, in my mind, that's like a key, really key reason why utilization management is important. Because in that beginning, when that patient came in with that back pain, it could have potentially just been resolved with maybe a little bit of physical therapy some maybe a little bit of anti-inflammatories and some ice you know it could have maybe been nipped in the bud Mm -hmm. but because of the fact that they went for that mri that's what caused the problem there in terms of the cascade so you know if there had been utilization management in that case then probably that initial mri wouldn't have taken place and then it wouldn't have kept going on from there
0: Yeah. yeah isn't it true that um most um, low back pain resolves in about four to six weeks. Uh, the majority of it does. Conservative therapy, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, the vast majority of it does. And that's why you need to not just go straight to the imaging. You need to really, you know, pause and do the right treatment. Granted, there are exceptions. You know, if someone has red flags, like, you know, there are, you know, fever, there are other signs going on that may um, suggest that there's something more insidious. Yes, yeah. go ahead and get that MRI. <laughs> that's that's kind of crucial. Yeah. But the vast majority of the cases, that's not it. So it doesn't really need to be done at that point in time.
0: Yeah. And I know, you know, as um, physicians, when a patient comes to you, you want to help them. You know, if someone says they're in pain, you're compelled to want to make them feel better. Um, And then the issue of presenteeism, they're they're going to work because they're, you know, they're in pain, um, but they still have to go to work. Um, and if not treated, then it will, of course, result in absenteeism because they feel like they yes. can't really work. <laughs> yes, um, absolutely. So as far as presenteeism and uh, physiatry, how do you yeah. um, how do you work with patients when they are in pain, um, but they still have to go to work? Um, yeah. But yeah. it you know that you know one to four week time frame where the pain is not resolved, um, mm-hmm. but they still have to stay functional. Um, you know, how do
1: you work with that? Yeah, it it is, it is a challenge, definitely, because, because, right, there are people who just have to go to work for various reasons. They may not be able to take out, take off, take time off from work. So in in those situations, really the best thing to do is really work with the employer, too, Mm -hmm. just to make sure that, you know, everyone is in, everyone's on the same team, essentially. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the real goal in these situations is to get this person back to a full level of function, so that they're, you know, they're feeling good, they're productive, everything's working okay, and and I think working directly with the empl- employers in these cases is a, really the way to go. If possible, for some situations, some, the person might need just a few days out, like a couple days off, just to mm-hmm. you know, to get a little bit of rest and, and go on from there, and maybe they'll be better after that, and then they can be fully productive. Or it might be a different situation. So really, it's just a matter of um, paying attention to what's going on with that individual. Mm-hmm. and working with that person and their employer to make sure that the right treatment plan is in place. Because mm-hmm. really everyone just wants to get back to the same place where they're functioning as well as possible. Yeah.
0: So Evacor has taken utilization management into the world of post-acute care. And uh, you you work in the post-acute care space at mm-hmm. Um Can you talk a little bit about how that plays a role in, uh, in patient safety and patient empowerment?
1: Absolutely. So, in telling that, I can actually give an example of um, something I've actually we've seen a few times. So this isn't just a one off experience. But, um, you know, with, with post acute care, so essentially what it is post acute care is the care that someone's receiving after their acute care hospitalization. So, that could either be going home with like home services, it could be going into a facility like a skilled nursing facility for what we call sub acute rehabilitation, an inpatient rehabilitation facility. Or if someone has more advanced concerns, it's um, something called a long-term acute care hospitalization. So they can be going to any of those levels of care after they're in the hospital. So um, when we do utilization management, we take a look at um, where they should go just to make sure that they're going to the right, essentially the right place at the right point in time. So whichever level of service is appropriate for them, that's where we're kind of tracking them to. So in in doing utilization management, many times actually we've um, caught cases where someone probably shouldn't leave the hospital yet. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when we're actually taking a look and we're looking at the case, we see that, oh, wow, you know, this person is having, you know, their 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 temperature has been spiking, you know, that, you know, their, their blood pressure is dropping. And sometimes they're just like subtle things that, not to say that the physicians in the hospital aren't, you know, on top of it, but when we're looking at the whole picture, we sometimes can see these trends a bit more easily than, than someone who's just right there at that moment. Mm-hmm. And so there have been instances where we've caught situations where, this person's clearly not ready to go anywhere yet. It's not, it's not gonna be safe for them to leave the hospital. And in those cases, it's, it's, we've been right, you know? So, you know, we've been able to prevent potentially an adverse outcome because if someone, especially if it's going to be like going home to home care, if someone goes home and, you know, they have an infection brewing, that could be really bad. That could really be a bad situation. So, um, you know, really having utilization management has been able to really protect people in some of these situations
0: that's a great anecdote because a lot of folks think of utilization management as just cost savings and they don't realize the patient safety piece of it. So um, that's really great to illustrate um, how we um, are making the best decision for the patients. Sure. So there is a notion that the more expensive the test, the better it is. So (laughs) (laughs) do you see that often um, in utilization management where Uh, Maybe providers are asking for a PET scan, um, which really it's not indicated for whatever they um, are requesting it for.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think it comes back to what you'd alluded to before—that you know, often in practice, physicians just want to help their patients; they want to do the best Mm -hmm. for them. But sometimes, what you think is the best isn't necessarily what's the best, (laughs) you know. Yeah. And I think that's why it's really key to actually have utilization management, where we can look at the actual literature and look and see, you know, what is the literature showing? What is the actual best situation here? Not just based on price, but what is the actual test or procedure or whatever we're talking about that is actually going to be best for this particular individual. Yeah. And, you know, in, in practice, sometimes, you know, again, because, you know, science is moving so quickly, medicine is changing so rapidly, it's hard for someone to keep up on top of all that. You know, it's it could be a situation where someone's been doing something for, 20, 30 years, a physician has been practicing a certain way and doing an excellent job. So not, you know, not to knock that person, but new information could come out that indicates, hey, this new way is a little bit better of doing it. Mm -hmm. You know, without the actual utilization management and about without having people looking at what's current, it's hard for, it's hard to keep up with that. So I think, you know, really Doing UM with EvaCor, we really are helping physicians out because we're able to actually take a look and see, you know, what the appropriate, what the appropriate test or procedure could be. And again, as we're saying, it's not always the most expensive one. Sometimes it's the less expensive one that turns out to be the better one.
0: Utilization management is often two or three. Um, you know, six degrees of Kevin Bacon, right? Uh, right? <laughs> utilization management is often, you know, three degrees away from the actual patient. How do you feel that um, utilization management empowers patients?
1: Yeah, this that's a good question. So I think it, um, it, it can give patients tools that like knowledge. So as, as we're talking about before, you, you know, mentioned that, you know, some people will watch like Dr. Oz or something or they'll watch like a show something in the, or something in the media and get information from there. Mm -hmm. But I think having utilization management where we're actually looking at the actual data and getting the actual guidelines, that information, that's information that we can use to empower the patient to get the right thing for them.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And also um, now that you talk about it in the letters that we send to patients, if something is denied, um, they are given the opportunity to, to look up the guidelines that were used to, um, to make the decision. So we're not being, um, secretive about anything. It's it's out there for folks to, to look up. Um, absolutely. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think definitely, I mean, there's full transparency about it so they can understand why, um, whatever it is may not be authorized. And the the other thing is to, we make sure that in the denial rationales and in the letters that are sent to the patients, they are at a reading level that any patient should be able to understand. So we really made, um, efforts were made for with that particularly to make sure that things are readable. Because um, I know there's, there could be a lot of like medical jargon that, you know, I might understand, but not, not necessarily right. everyone's going to get it. Yeah. So we make sure that um, the way the wording is crafted makes it very explainable and understandable so they can really um, take a look at that.
0: Yeah, and uh, and I think it's a, a really great thing. Um, Evacor does make, Um, the clinical guidelines publicly available. So anyone can go to evicor.com and look up the clinical guidelines, which I think is really great for transparency. Um, Mm -hmm. And related to um, the reading ability or reading level of the denial Mm -hmm. rationales, we definitely take um, health literacy into concern um, in writing these. Um, And it's not just writing it in like maybe a seventh grade reading level, mm-hmm. but making sure there are clear actions for what the next steps are. So um, yeah. so that's great. That really does. Um, you've helped me um, you know, reconcile that three degrees <laughs> of separation on empowering <laughs> sure. um, individuals. So how do you explain to patients why prior authorization is necessary? Because you know, they go to the doctor, the doctor Mm -hmm. says, hey, you know, I think you need an MRI or you need a stress echo. Um, But first we need to submit it for prior authorization. Um, Mm -hmm. How would you explain to a patient that that that's really the best thing for them, that we're not just trying to withhold care?
1: Absolutely, no, that's a good question because I'm I'm sure it can seem like that to a patient who doesn't understand the process. But I think um, best way to probably explain to them is to explain that it's for their safety. That we're really and it's to make sure that there's not overutilization. Now, not just overutilization um, across the board, but sometimes for them too. What's interesting is um, because sometimes not all practices are integrated and connected to others, I guess, uh, to other practices. Someone could have gotten an imaging study with one doctor, and the other doctor doesn't realize that that person already had it done. And maybe there's like another doctor down the line, and you know, if, if everyone's not communicating, which unfortunately sometimes is the case someone could end up getting multiple studies of the same kind. This can actually, in some situations, can be dangerous because there are certain types of imaging that have radiation. So, you know, there could be excess radiation exposure, medications too. That's another area where there can definitely be a problem. I remember in in practice, a lot of times, um, sometimes I would have like elderly patients who would literally come in with like a bag of medications. And different physicians have prescribed different medications. They often wouldn't even realize that, sometimes they were the same thing because maybe there was worried that one was a generic and one was not. So they didn't realize it was the same medicine or they were serving the same purpose. If there is appropriate um, prior off, these things can all be teased out. So there's not like, you know, overutilization of either medication, services, procedures, and things along those lines. So I think really the key is just to make sure that the patients know that it's really, it's in their best interest to have someone taking a look at this, to make sure that you know, things aren't being overused for them for their own safety.
0: Yeah. And it also plays into the, um, what we talked about a few minutes mm-hmm. ago, how, you know, physicians are t- trying to do the best thing, yes. but you know, yeah. they don't always have the latest evidence. So submitting mm-hmm. that prior auth, um, does help with that review. Right. Um, and also prior auths. there's a quick turnaround. Usually there's, there, there's like a um, requirements to review prior mm-hmm. auth requests within, you know, however many hours or days. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not like they have to wait, you know, a month to get approval. Yes.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Because, you know, really that that's key. We want to make sure that if something is indicated, someone can get it in the right time, at the right t- point in time. We don't want people to have to wait for services or procedures and things along those lines. So yeah, there's a pretty rapid turnaround time from when, the the request is put in to when a decision is made. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, and I'm thinking of oncology patients as well. So um, with oncology, there's a sense of of a timing issue. Um, You know, folks, maybe they're being worked up for suspected cancer or um, potential recurrence uh, of a cancer. And, you know, we don't want them with that anxiety of having to wait longer than they should to get imaged. Um, or to get the procedure that they need um, when it's related Mm -hmm. to cancer because it's so emotional.
1: Absolutely, yes.
0: Erica, thank you so much for being our guest today. You've been a great source of information about utilization management. And I think everyone learned a lot about how utilization management plays into patient safety and patient empowerment.
1: Thank you, Emily. It's been a pleasure.
0: Thanks for listening to Off the Cuff. Join us next month.